Today's reading is from Proverbs 4. Um, if you're using the Church Bible, that is page 496. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you, love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honour you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Thanks, Deborah. Please do um, keep uh, your Bible open in front of you uh, so you can track along and see uh, that it's coming from God's Word uh, and not ultimately from me. If you're just joining us this morning, we're in a series in Proverbs called Get Wisdom, Eternal Wisdom uh, for Every Day and Eternal Life. According to the, the National Records of Scotland, as of 2021, the leading cause of death in Scotland is, anyone know? Heart disease. Heart disease. What that statistic reveals to us is that if we want to live our hearts, our physical hearts, matter. Uh, having a healthy heart matters. And probably, likely, for maybe particularly for men, we don't focus on our hearts enough. What our physical heart is to our bodies for health, our spiritual heart, which we're thinking about this morning, is for our whole lives and our eternal destiny. What our physical heart is to our bodies for health, our spiritual heart is for our whole lives and our eternal destiny. That's what Proverbs 4 is all about. It's all about our, our spiritual heart, its centrality, its importance, its need to be protected. Protected because our whole lives and our eternity is determined by it and depends upon it. John Flavel, an old Puritan who wrote a book on keeping the heart, says this, the heart of man is his worst part before it's regenerated, so as Christians, regeneration is being given a new heart. It's the worst part of man before it's regenerated. And the best afterward is the seat of principles, the foundation of our actions. The eye of God is, and the eye of the Christian should be principally fixed upon it. And Proverbs 4 this morning is doing the much needed and often neglected work of causing us this morning together to focus on our hearts, to bring the, our spiritual hearts into focus. So if you're a Christian this morning, this is a reminder that everything that we do flows from our hearts. Our whole lives flow from our hearts. So are we focusing on it? Are we actively protecting it? As a church, the work of focusing on and protecting our hearts is a community project. We need one another's help. God gifts us with one another in the work of guarding our hearts. And as we speak the truth of the gospel into one another's lives, encourage and, and exhort, we must aim for the heart. We mustn't focus on rules and regulations and habits and behavior and, and circumstances. We must focus on the heart, its loves, its desires, its affections, its worship. 
And maybe you're not a Christian here this morning or you're just figuring that out. As someone who is made in the image of God, someone who was created in his image by him, you were created body and soul. You have a spiritual heart. And that heart matters. Your life is determined by it. Your destiny is determined by it. God sees it. God is weighing it just as he is all of our hearts. And Jesus in the gospel can transform our hearts, give us a new heart, and then help us to live a wise life by getting and guarding wisdom into our hearts. So this morning, the big thing we're going to see together is this. We want to get wise, as Proverbs calls us to. If we want to get wise, we must focus on being heart-wise. If we want to get wise, we must focus on being heart-wise. And we'll see three things that are critical to getting heart-wise here this morning. Firstly, to get wise, I must focus on getting wisdom into my heart. Okay, just before we kind of dive into verses 1 to 9, which Deborah read to us, and we'll be reading the rest of the chapter as we go along, let's just define what the heart is in biblical terms. Uh, The Bible uses different words. As you've read the Bible, you've maybe noticed different words the Bible has used to, to describe our inner self. Soul, mind, spirit, conscience. But the word heart is the most important out of all of these. It's the most used word in the Old and the New Testaments to describe our inner self. Uh, author, uh, writer Craig Troxell, he's written a book called With All Your Heart. He defines the heart like this. He says the heart, that is our spiritual hearts, not the organ, our spiritual heart is the governing center of a person. When used simply, it reflects the unity of our inner being. And when used comprehensively, which the Bible does have uh, these different words for it, when used comprehensively, it describes the complexity of our inner being as composed of mind, what we know, desires, what we love, and will, what we choose. Your heart thinks, by the way, doesn't doesn't just love, doesn't just desire, it thinks and it chooses. The heart is the governing center of a person. A number of years ago, I spent a year as part of my degree um, working in a nuclear power station, and one of the most intriguing places to me in that place, and one of the kind of, uh, it had this kind of aura around it, no one was really allowed to go in there or out of there, was the control room. Now, it was built in the 80s, so it's like this really old, kind of old-school control room, but the control room in that station was what determined uh, everything else. It was the most important place. Everything went through that room. In many ways, that's what our heart is. It's the control room. It's the the governing center. What that means is that whatever state our heart is in, our lives and our destinies will follow. If our whole lives are connected to our hearts, then our hearts are engaged. Our hearts are always engaged every second and in every area of our lives. When we buy clothes, when we speak to someone, when we have arguments, when we respond to difficult circumstances, when we watch TV, when we go to work, when we talk to our children, even when we sleep at night, our hearts are engaged. When we gather as God's people, our hearts are engaged. We are to love God with all of our heart. So our hearts are always engaged. Everything flows from our hearts, as we'll see in a second. And just as a side note, For what it's worth, I think, as Christians, it would serve us to consider using the language of heart health more readily than the secular label of mental health because it automatically starts to bring in a biblical perspective, a truer perspective to our inner self. 
It automatically begins to bring that into play. It brings God. It, it brings being made in the image of God. It brings worship and faith and sin and repentance and grace and redemption and hope into the picture. It's not to say that every experience we have is only spiritual or to undermine the complexity of the fact that we are embodied souls. Our, our souls, our hearts, and our bodies are entirely intricately connected together. But because we are embodied souls, our heart, our spiritual heart, will always be at play. It will always be involved. It will always be central. So, how do we make sure we have a healthy heart? How do we make sure we don't become a statistic, right? Firstly, we get wisdom in. We need to get wisdom in there, which is what we've been thinking about. Two things we must do to get wisdom into our heart. The first one is we need to learn wisdom. If you look at verses 1 and 2, hear, O son of fathers, instruction. Verse 2, teaching. There's some learning to be done here. There's some teaching to be received. We're to learn attentively, verse 1. Okay, not sitting at the back of the class, not paying attention. We're to learn attentively. We're to learn from God's Word. Verse 2 talks about His precepts, His commands, which are contained in His Word. And we're to learn from other godly people. The verses that um, Deborah has read to us in these nine verses, here we have a really sweet picture of multi-generational discipleship within a family. You have a father gathering his sons around and saying, hey, this is what my father said to me. Now I'm saying it to you. You have a grandfather's wisdom being passed on. You have God's word being invested in future generations. So let us be fathers and mothers. Let us be, if you are in the room this morning, let us be grandfathers and grandmothers who sit down and teach our children and our grandchildren God's word and his wisdom. And whether we have biological family or not, the church family is designed to be a place where we're all involved in multi-generational discipleship, where we're all called to be fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers. We see that in places like Titus chapter 2. A place where we get the chance to experience and in turn give maybe what we didn't have growing up. We're to learn it attentively from God's word, from godly people, and we're to learn like our lives depend on it. Verse 4, if you look down, keep my commandments and live. We need to learn as if our lives depend on it. We're not to forsake it, verse 2. We're to hold fast and live, verse 4. We're not to forget, verse 5. If you feel like Proverbs is beginning to feel a little bit repetitive, we're only four chapters in, that's purposeful because we are forgetful, because we do forsake, because so often we don't hold fast. So we're to learn wisdom, that's how we get it in, and secondly, we've also got to love it. You see the way um, wisdom's described it in kind of verses five and six onwards? Do not forsake her, love her, prize her highly, that is value her, embrace her, verse eight. And what, we, what will happen if we do that? She will keep us, she will guard us, she will exalt us, she will honor us. And all those things are symbolized in the picture of a garland and a crown in verse 9. We're not just to learn wisdom, we're to love it. What that reveals to us this morning is that wisdom isn't just a concept to be mastered. Wisdom is a person to be loved. Wisdom is ultimately Jesus, as we've been thinking about these last few weeks. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Learning wisdom isn't meant to be some kind of cold academic exercise. It's meant to be personal and affectionate. 
here's our motivation then for getting wisdom into our hearts. Getting wisdom in is not primarily an invitation to read. It's an invitation into relationship. We embrace wisdom as we embrace Jesus and we embrace him in God's word. When we do that, when we embrace Jesus and his wisdom and the word of God, he will keep us and guard us and exalt us and honor us. So we need to, to learn wisdom. We do that through personal reading of God's word, learning from other godly Christians, sitting under God's word preached, being in God's word regularly with other people. It means exerting effort. It means being attentive. Some of us maybe in the room feel uh, we're not that academic. Maybe we're not great readers. But getting wisdom in is about more than a willingness to, is, is more about more than learning. It's more than an ability to learn. It's a willingness to listen. It's primarily a willingness to listen. Remember the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. It's primarily about our heart's approach to wisdom, not our academic ability. And he doesn't intend for us to learn alone. God gives us with those around us to help us learn. So no one is without excuse. Everyone needs to exert and be attentive. It means cultivating those multi-generational discipleship within our family and within our church family. Read Proverbs with your children and encourage them to do the same. Don't let the generational gap emerge. Make sure they pass it on. As I've been, we've been working through Proverbs, uh, one thing I've, I, in my mind I would like to commit to is to read through Proverbs with uh, Joseph and Noor before they each turn 12. So you can hold me to that. That's something I, I would love to do uh, and that they need me to do for them, to read through Proverbs with them before they turn 12. And the question for us to ask as a church is this, and as parents and as grandparents, when the children of our church and of our homes speak of us in 20 and 30 years, what will they say of us? What will they say of us? By God's grace, may it be that the lasting impression they had of us was that we loved God, that they taught us God's wisdom, that they helped us treasure God's word, and they taught us how to love Jesus, amongst many other things. But let that be the biggest lasting impression they had of us, of our homes, and all this church. And we need to love wisdom. We need to love Jesus. When we disconnect learning wisdom from loving Jesus, that's when we begin to drift. That's when we begin to wander. That's when seeking wisdom becomes a duty rather than a delight. That's when we and our children will drift. That is when we will stray onto the wrong path. What keeps us ultimately wise and on the right path is not ultimately learning wisdom, though that is essential, but loving it and loving Christ. The learning and the spiritual disciplines are a pathway to embracing Jesus himself. I hope you see that. I hope you experience that. So the question is, are we getting wisdom in? When life gets tough, when temptation comes, when relationships get difficult, when decisions need to be made, when we don't know how to move forward, where do we go? What do we get? Do we just get away from it all and escape? We, we live for the next holiday. We get lost in a Netflix series or a game. We, we get lazy maybe and we isolate ourselves. We dodge responsibility. Maybe we get angry and blame others. We, we busy ourselves worrying or we get practical. We change our circumstances. We try to change our circumstances. We, we go to the doctor. We go to the pub. We, we binge out on food. We start a new diet or an exercise routine. We, we just follow our gut or 
we go to Google or we go back to our old way of life or we just grieve, but we do it without hope. It's not that all those things are unhelpful and some are even wise and necessary, but let's not do it at the expense of focusing on our hearts and getting wisdom into them. Let me just say, getting wisdom into your heart isn't some kind of simplistic thing. You can just read the book of Proverbs and everything's cured overnight. That's not how it works. It's rarely an instantaneous thing. But when we store it up over time in our new hearts with the help of the Spirit, our emotions and our will will in time change. And that stored up wisdom will help us to live wise, holy, and happy, joyful lives. So we need to get wisdom into our hearts And then the second thing we need to do is avoid things that would endanger our hearts. To get wise, I must focus on getting wisdom into my heart. And secondly, avoiding anything that stumbles my heart. If you look down at verses 10 to 19, I'm just going to read those verses. Please track uh, with me. Hear, my son, and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep until they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they do not know over what they stumble. So verse 15 tells us so clearly we're to get wisdom into the heart, and there's things we need to keep out of our hearts. There's things we need to avoid. We're to avoid things that would cause us, if you notice three times, things that would cause us to stumble, verses 12, 16, and 19. We're to avoid anything that would cause us to stumble. And there's two things in in that section that would cause us to stumble. We've already seen them. We've seen them twice before. The wrong people on the wrong path. The wrong people on the wrong path. Again, this repetition over the last number of weeks is meant to highlight to us that these things are dangerous and they're not going away. The wrong path is more enticing than we would uh, like to think it is and our hearts are more fickle and, and forgetful than we would like to believe. That's why the repetition's here. It's meant to get us to consider, hey, wake up. What path are you on? So it's your third, third warning now in Proverbs already. We're only four chapters in. What path are you on? What people are you surrounding yourself with? Because so often we walk down the wrong path. So often we surround ourselves with the wrong people without even really thinking about it. We just find ourselves caught up. It's like when you go to the train station, you get off the train, there's a huge crowd. You just follow the, follow the crowd. You go down the path that everyone else is going. You follow the, the crowd. Or when you go to a sports stadium, you, you don't know what, what way you're supposed to get into the stadium, so you just you pick some jerseys and you, and you follow the crowd. Or maybe you're on the road and there's diversions from your usual route and the diversion signs are rubbish as they usually are and you just think, I'll just follow the, where most of the other cars are going, but then it leads you down the wrong place. We're so quick and so easy to just Go down the wrong path and, and follow the wrong people. The, the call here is to wake up. We can't afford to do that. We can't afford to go down the wrong path with the, with the wrong people. We need to avoid them because they'll make us stumble. 
What does the wrong path look like? Verses 14 and 17 and verse 19. It's the path of the wicked. It's the path of evil. Setting foot on this path might seem like a good idea initially. It might even feel good. But what does it lead to? Verse 17, it leads to this deep, unholy hunger for wickedness and violence. A hunger that will stop us sleeping at night until we fed our hearts with the bread of wickedness and the wine of violence. And the longer we stay on that road, the hungrier our hearts will be for those things. This path is, verse 19, a dark path. You can't see where you're walking. It's like when you wake up at night and your eyes haven't adjusted to the darkness yet, you, you don't know where you're going. You stumble over everything. Compare that to the good path in verses 10 to 13 and verse 18. The good path is the way of wisdom, the path of uprightness. If you go on this path, you won't be hampered. You won't stumble. It's a smooth path. And it's a well-lit path in verse 18. It's a safe road. It's a secure road. It's a road that's increasingly filled with light. It's like when you see the sunrise on a beautiful summer's day. It only gets better. The light continues to come. And that's a path that leads to life. Back in the day, when I actually used to have some fitness about me, I used to play rugby with a bunch of guys, and every Saturday after the game, um, in the changing room, plans would be hatched for Saturday night. And those, some of those guys, they lived for that Saturday night. They didn't really, they just came to play rugby so they could, they could uh, have their Saturday night. They, they had an insatiable hunger for it. The plans were being hatched from uh, the changing room before we even went out on the pitch. So it's like they couldn't go to bed at night until they had their fill of fun in, on Saturday night. It's a plan that started with kind of post-match food and a pint. Um, I stuck around for the food bit. Um, I realized when I started playing rugby here in Scotland that every single club serves scotch pie and beans after the game. So um, it was a good diet. It was a plan that eventually led to the pub, as it always did. It led eventually for most of them to sleeping around with women, and sometimes even to violence. They used to get banned from certain pubs. I'm not saying this because I think I'm better than them. The reason I didn't go is because my heart still had the same tendencies as them. And I knew by, by God's grace that the only reason I... He kept me by His grace, but I knew that if I went with them, I would probably stumble just like them. Initially, they always invited me, but when they found out I was a Christian, and I eventually managed to, like, I genuinely am a Christian, and initially they didn't even believe it, they began to joke about trying to get me drunk, and I guess part of them wanted to see me stumble, right? You've maybe been in that situation before. Where did it get them? Verse 19 is a good description. The more I got to know them, the more it seemed like they were just stumbling through life with no light or life at the end of the tunnel. Stumbling from one Saturday night to the next. Let me ask you, what does that stumbling path or people look like for you? Maybe it is a path that goes to the pub. Maybe it's a path to substances like drugs or alcohol, which you become independent on, maybe even subtly and privately. Maybe it's not being able to sleep at night until you've had sex with someone who isn't your husband or wife. Maybe it's staying up late at night to watch something inappropriate or hanging out with people in school or college 
who seek to see other people stumble and fall with them. Maybe it's the insatiable hunger to gossip about others in the coffee shop or behind closed doors. The reality is that if we want to have healthy, spiritually healthy and wise hearts, then there are some things we need to avoid. There are things that we need to avoid if we don't want our hearts to stumble. We must be realistic about the spiritual battle that's still going on inside of our hearts. Getting wisdom in helps us fight that battle. Avoiding things which would stumble our heart also helps that battle. Bottom line is this, as Christians, if we aren't avoiding some things, if there's some things we don't do and places we don't go, then we are likely setting ourselves up right now to stumble. Yes, we are still works in progress. Yes, we will sometimes still stumble. And praise the Lord, there's grace and forgiveness for that from Jesus when we confess that stumbling. Jesus' death covers all our past, present, and future stumbling if we are in Him. And there's help from the Spirit to not keep stumbling. But we must still actively avoid. Avoiding means there's there's got to be places we just don't go. There's got to be people we just don't hang around with. There's got to be programs and movies we just should not watch. Websites we just shouldn't visit. Social media platforms we might need to leave if they are going to lead us to stumble. And let us not be amongst those who would cause others to stumble by our example or our actions or our words. Avoidance is critical, yet it's not enough. Fleeing is essential, but it's not enough. We need renewed affections as well. The best antidote, the only lasting antidote to temptation and sin and evil and wickedness is not to eat the bread of wickedness and the wine of violence, but to eat the bread of Christ's body and drink the wine of Christ's blood. It's to turn in repentance from the bread of wickedness and the wine of violence and instead turn in faith and feed on Christ. It's to satisfy that hunger in Him. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Avoidance is critical, it is essential, but it's not enough. We must also renew our affections by going to Jesus. Our wickedness and our violence deserve judgment and eternal death, yet in his love God sent Christ to take that judgment and death upon himself. He gave up his body, he gave up his blood for us on the cross so that we might stand before God not as wicked, but as righteous. That we might walk not in darkness, but in light. That we might not die eternally, but live eternally. That's why we must daily embrace Jesus, because our hearts are hungry. We need Him. And as we embrace Him and encounter Him through His Word, through prayer, through gathered worship, through this time together, our hearts feed on Him by faith afresh. We treasure him. We trust him. We recognize all the blessings and the benefits that are ours in him that are so much better than anything that is out there. That's why we regularly take communion. Jesus serves us at his table to remind our forgetful and weak hearts of all that we have in him, of the, the bread and the wine that he offers us, not that which the wrong path and the wrong people would. So to get wise, I must 
focus on getting wisdom into my heart, avoid anything that would stumble my heart, and then thirdly, keep watch over my heart. Verses 20 to 27, read with me. My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the, to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So we get wisdom into our hearts. It's not enough to just get it in there. You need to keep it in there. That's what verse 21 tells us. Don't let it out of your sight. Don't let it escape. Get it in, keep it in, and then keep watch over it. You, there's two keeps here. Uh, there, there's the, the keep here to preserve and, and to, to protect. That's the, the keep it in your heart, to preserve it and, and protect it. And then there's the keeping watch over your heart. That's the protection part. So we're to preserve uh, wisdom in our hearts and nourish our hearts with wisdom. And then we're to protect anything that would... Uh, attack it. It's kind of like if you're into gardening, okay? You, you nourish your garden, you water it, you, you feed it, you take care of it, you, you, you keep the garden, but then you also need to maybe protect it from rabbits or foxes or slugs or whatever it might be. There's two kinds of keeping. We are to, to keep wisdom in our hearts and then keep watch over our hearts. And the manner we're to do that with, did you notice in verse 23? Keep your heart with all vigilance not casually, not just on the weekends, with all vigilance. The word there for vigilance, actually, uh, the, the, the root behind that is the word for custody. We are to guard our hearts in the same way a, a prison officer guards a prison. 24-hour surveillance, strict procedures, clear protocols, night and day shifts, no falling asleep on the job. That's the kind of manner or attitude we are to approach guarding our hearts with. And why is keeping it so critical? Well, verse 23 tells us, for, for from it flow the springs of life. Our whole lives, both now and eternally, flow from our hearts. So we must guard it. We must keep watch over it. Does anyone know where um, your tap water comes from and if you live in the air? Do you know ultimately where its source is? Nobody know? Hmm? Loch Braden? Is that what you said? Didn't know Loch Braden, I think it is. I could be wrong. I think it's Loch Braden. Loch Braden up near Straton is where your tap water ultimately comes from. Loch Braden is kind of like our heart. Everything flows out of it. What goes in and out of Loch Braden is critical because that's where we get our drinking water from. Guarding that source is critical and essential to our lives. Bruce Waltke, the commentator, says this, the centrality of the heart to a person's emotional, intellectual, religious, moral activity demands its utmost safeguarding. Everything flows from it. It's our wellspring. It's our life. Everything flows from it. Therefore, we must safeguard it. We must keep watch over it. What does that mean in practice for us then? Well, we need to keep watch of what goes in 
We also need to keep watch of what goes out. Both are critical. We see that here in the text. Three body parts that define what comes in and what comes out. We see the eyes, we see the ears, and we see the, the mouth. What goes in, your eyes and your ears. What goes out, your, your mouth. And in Scripture, when it talks about the eyes and, and the ears and the mouth, they're not just body parts. They're intricately connected to your heart. They are gateways to your heart. Scripture talks about the eyes of our heart. It talks about how our hearts can be dull of hearing. It talks about how out of the heart the mouth speaks. These things are gateways into your heart, so we must be guarding them. Otherwise, we open our heart up to attack. So we are to watch our ears. We're to watch what we listen to. If you think back to chapter 2, the, the adulterous woman, uh, it talked about how she had smooth words. She tempted through words. And then we'll see in chapter 5 how her lips drip with honey and her words are smoother than oil. Her words are powerful. Her words can be fatal. We must watch what our ears listen to and what we hear. Music lyrics can make us lustful or angry. Podcasts can feed us lies and make us doubt God's truth. Radio adverts can make us discontent and jealous. And wisdom, if you think back to chapter 1, thankfully, wisdom is shouting loud above all the noise of the streets, above the noise of our flesh, of the world, and of the devil. And thank goodness it is, because we need to hear it. We must listen to it. So we need to watch our ears, and we need to watch our eyes. Again, when it comes to the uh, woman, uh, uh, the adulterous woman, it will see in, in Proverbs 6, it says, do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. We need to guard our eyes, because our eyes are gateways to our heart. What we gaze at is what our hearts will begin to become affectionate for. We need to watch our eyes, because looking can lead to lusting. And that can lead to sexual immorality. We need to guard our eyes because looking can lead to coveting and jealousy and greed. Speaking to a friend recently who said they had to come off Instagram because they were just, the, the adverts, the, the kind of adverts were coming down and they ended up buying all this stuff. We must watch what we expose our eyes to as we've already thought about movies, TV programs, pictures, social media. We must consider even what books we read, what magazines we read what newspapers we read. In verses 25 to 27, paint a, a picture of the reality of where we'll end up going. It paints the reality of that what we look at is where we'll go. It's where we'll stray. If our eyes stray, our hearts will go and our lives will go after. Again, Proverbs 7, and talking about the adulterous woman, it says, let not your heart turn aside to her Turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her past. The eyes have gazed. The eyes have lusted. The heart then begins to turn and the feet follow. It can begin so small. In through the eyes and the ears, into the heart, and the heart turns. That means we must create boundaries and safeguards and passwords and filters and accountability when it comes to what we listen to and what we look at. We're to guard our eyes, we're to guard our ears, and we're to guard our mouths, verse 24. 
we're to guard our mouths by not saying certain things, by putting away crooked and devious speech, by not gossiping or lying or slandering or venting our anger with harsh words. So much of Proverbs is given to that, to speech, to words, to controlling our speech. The reason being because it's, it affects our hearts so much. And you kind of may be thinking, as, as I was thinking as I was reading this passage, you know, it, it makes sense to guard the eyes and the ears because things come in there. But why do I need to guard what comes out? How does what comes out affect what is already in here? How does watching our mouth help our heart? Well, we all know what it's like, right? You vent your frustration or your anger uh, to someone about something, and you get one thing off your chest, but hey, just while we're here, let me tell you, two weeks ago, you said that. And here, another thing while we're at it. Let's have it out now. A month ago, see when you did that? I wasn't happy about that. Our hearts get, if we let our hearts, our mouths vent, our hearts get used to venting, and therefore they become more angry. If we accustom our mouths to gossiping, then our hearts will come, become increasingly jealous and bitter, and we'll want to do it more and more and more and more. It's almost like a feedback loop. The floodgates opened at the mouth. The heart begins to go, okay, I can vent this stuff now. I can gossip this stuff. Derek Kidner, another commentator, says this. He says, superficial habits of talk react on the mind. It's almost like a feedback loop. So that cynical chatter, fashionable grumbles, okay, grumbling, flippancy, half-truths, barely meant in the first place, harden into well-established habits of thought. That's why we need to guard what comes out of our mouths. Keeping our hearts is a 24-7 vigilant work, right? Sounds tiring, doesn't it? It's a necessary work. It's a work that will bring joy to our lives ultimately. We guard our heart by keeping worshiping. Hearts that don't worship become distorted and discouraged. We guard our hearts by keeping in community because lonely hearts become liabilities. We guard our hearts by keeping watchful through prayer. Prayerful hearts become vulnerable hearts. Prayerless hearts become vulnerable hearts. We keep feeding our heart with God's truth because hungry hearts will become doubtful and drift. We guard our hearts by serving others, because selfish hearts turned in on themselves become wayward hearts. Sounds hard. It sounds tiring. Can we keep our hearts? Is this possible? The good news of the gospel, though, is that you do not keep your heart alone. Ultimately, Jesus is the keeper of your heart. Yes, we are to keep and to guard, but the good news of being in Christ is that Jesus, God, will keep our hearts as well. Verse 6, we saw that Jesus will keep us, will guard us when we embrace him and when we love him. He will not let us be snatched away. He, he will not let anything ultimately cause us to eternally stumble. So yes, we are to keep, but even more so, we are kept. Know that this morning. We are to keep. We are to guard. But even more so, we are kept. Psalm 121. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So to get wise, we must focus on being heart-wise. It's an active, urgent, getting wisdom in, 
keeping it in, guarding our hearts, avoiding anything that would cause us to stumble. It means for you and me this morning, none of us can leave here without seriously considering what we need to do to better guard and keep our hearts. To ensure that they are in as healthy a spiritual state and as wise a spiritual state as possible. And even those of us who by God's grace are doing well in this, not everyone's on the brink of stumbling all the time. Even those who are doing well in this area must maintain vigilance. So easy to become unguarded. And we must help keep one another's hearts also. We do this, though, knowing that for our own hearts and the hearts of our children and the hearts of our church, we have a Savior who is eternally vigilant and who will keep us to the end. Just before Derek comes to lead us around the Lord's table, I'll pray for us in light of these things. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you give us new hearts, Father, that you have put your spirit and your law within us, that you have given us hope, that you have shown us grace, and that you promise us eternal life. Father, we recognize how much we stumble, how much we stray, how hard it is sometimes to live in this world, and so we just ask that you would put wisdom into our hearts, that you would revive our hearts, Father that you would help us to remain vigilant. Father, we feel so weak in this task. We feel so unable. But yeah, we know that ultimately you're at work to keep us and to protect us. May that spur us on to obey these things with joy and with hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.